Welcome to the Whitefields Community Church Podcast. For more information about our church, including location and service times, visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com. If you are blessed by this message, please consider sharing it with others and leave a rating and review on your favorite podcast app. Today's message comes from the series, Behold Your King, a study in the Gospel of Matthew, where we see that Jesus is the promised Messiah, the God who saves, come to establish his kingdom, reveal himself to us, and provide salvation. Here's Pastor Nick. All right, well, this Christmas Eve, you know, we scheduled our Advent series. We started a new series in the season of Advent so that on Christmas Eve, we would come up in the Gospel of Matthew to the Christmas story. So that's what we're going to be celebrating today and and studying. So open in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2. We're going to be looking at the first 12 verses, and please bow your heads with me as we pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you now and we ask this morning, Lord, help us to really understand and appreciate Lord, the meaning of your coming into this world. And we pray, Lord, that this Christmas would be one of the greatest yet because this Christmas we're going beyond the the cultural trappings of this celebration to really the heart of what it is and why it's good news of great joy for all people. So Lord, help us to experience that joy and to appreciate it more as we study your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, earlier this year, I attended a bachelor party in Las Vegas. A friend of mine from high school, he was getting married, and he lives there in Las Vegas. And, you know, as a pastor, I officiate a lot of weddings. But I'll be honest with you, for perhaps obvious reasons, I don't usually get invited to the bachelor party. But this time, I was not officiating, and I did get invited to the bachelor party. And you might be thinking to yourself, wow, bachelor party in Las Vegas? That must have been crazy. Well, let me tell you, it was definitely not crazy. Because we are all 40 years old and most of us have kids, so by 7 p.m. we were exhausted. And and uh, so what we did for the bachelor party, uh, we went to an escape room, and and the way this escape room worked is kind of large, right? And they, so what they did is they put us in a jail cell, and that was like the first thing we had to figure out. So they put us in a jail cell, and the first challenge was to figure out how to get out of the jail cell. So we had like an hour to do this, the whole thing. And so the first thing is that we noticed when we went into the jail cells that there were names written on the walls and there were numbers written on the walls as well. And so there were also some like combination locks in the jail cells. So we put our minds together and we thought, you know what we need to do? We need to figure out what these numbers mean and what these names signify, and that must be the key to getting out of here. And so we started getting pretty deep after a while into our analysis of the numbers. We all had like notebooks, phones, we're doing math, trying to figure out the meaning of these names and these numbers. And like, we were like, the letter C, it's the third letter in the alphabet, so that must be a number three. And then if you do that with all the letters, and then you take the total of those and divide it by the sum of all the numbers, and then carry the one and find the square root, then that might be it. And we tried all these different combinations nothing worked. And for like 20 minutes, we're working on mathematical equations, trying to figure out how to get out of this jail cell. And we started to get worried, right? Because we only had an hour total to do the whole thing. So we decided, you know, they give you this walkie-talkie and you can reach out to the moderator who's watching you on a camera the whole time. And they let you ask two times, like for a hint. So we said, okay, we need to use one of our hints because we're going to run out of time in here. So we we got on the walkie-talkie. We asked the guy, are we on the right track? And the guy says, well, well, actually, those names and numbers on the wall, they're just decorations. They don't mean anything at all. <laughs> and he says, but if you just look in the corner, there's a bucket, and in the bucket, there's a key, and that'll get you out of the jail cell. <laughs> and, uh, 
You know, it's kind of funny, right? Because we were trying so hard to find the right answer, but we were looking in the wrong place entirely. And as it turns out, no matter how hard you seek, if you're seeking in the wrong place for the wrong thing, you're never going to find what you need. And I think it's an important principle for life as well, isn't it? In order to find what you need, you have to be seeking the right thing in the right place. And I think a lot of people, they spend their whole life seeking after certain things, right? Seeking happiness or seeking a sense of inner peace. Uh, many people spend their lives seeking fulfillment or satisfaction or meaning. Other people spend their lives seeking after love and acceptance. But the question is, what if you spend your whole life seeking after those things but just like us in that escape room, you're seeking the wrong things and therefore you're never going to find what you need or you're looking for them in the wrong place. And even if you seek the right things, right, how do you know if you are seeking them in the right place? If only there was somebody that you could call up in that escape room, like the moderator, and ask, am I on the right track? Am I looking for the right thing? Am I looking in the right place? Well, the good news is, that God has not just left us in the dark to guess or to grope in the dark and have no clue what we're looking for or where to look for it, but God has actually provided guidance for us and told us what to look for and where to find it. The Bible says that God's word is like a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, and it helps us to see where we should go, and it shows us the things that we truly need. Well, today in the Gospel of Matthew, as we look at the Christmas story and the events surrounding the birth of Jesus, we're going to see a group of people who were seeking the right thing and how God led them through a bright light to the place they needed to go to find it. These people were the wise men. They were seeking after Jesus, the newborn king, and God led them to the place where Jesus was through a bright star. So in our time this morning, we're going to look at who these wise men were, how they knew about Jesus in the first place, and what we can learn from them about how to get the most out of Christmas this year. So the title of today's message is Seeking the King. Seeking the King. And in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, here's what we're going to see. We're going to see that like the wise men, the way to celebrate Christmas is by seeking Jesus, rejoicing in him, and worshiping him. So that's our summary of the message. And also, I'll use that as our outline for studying through these verses. So we'll take that sentence. I'll break it into a few parts as we walk through the verses in this passage. So I'll, let me give you that one more time. Then we'll break it into some parts. Like the wise men, the way to celebrate Christmas is by seeking Jesus, rejoicing in him, and worshiping him. Let's look at the first part of that. Like the wise men. It says this in Matthew chapter 2. Verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Now, as I mentioned, we've been studying through the Gospel of Matthew. And in the verses right before this, at the end of chapter 1, what we saw is what happened right before Jesus was born. But now, as we get into chapter 2, we're going to see what happened right after Jesus was born. And what we're going to see in this passage is how Jesus was received by those to whom he came. How was Jesus received by those to whom he came? What we're going to see is that some people rejoiced at his coming and worshiped him, and yet there were others who were disturbed by his coming and resisted him. And the question for you this Christmas, as we read this text, the question I want you to ask yourself is, how will you respond to the fact that Jesus has come? I think that's a really appropriate question for us to consider this Christmas Eve. So the first thing we're told here in verse 1 
is that Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea. Now, Bethlehem is about 10 miles south of Jerusalem. Today, Bethlehem is essentially a suburb of Jerusalem. It's a, quite a large city now. But in those days, it was a very small town, and yet it was significant. It was significant because it was the place where Israel's greatest king, King David, it's where he was from. We're also told that this happened in the time when Herod the Great was king over Israel. Now that's really helpful because historians know exactly when Herod the Great died. And so what this does is it puts a time marker on the events when Jesus was born. We know when it took place. So this king, Herod the Great, he was a very prolific builder. He was a developer in the land of Israel. Uh, he was a great administrator. There are many buildings still standing today in Israel that were built by Herod the Great. And yet, Herod the Great, despite his greatness as a builder and developer and administrator, he was hated and despised by the Jewish people. First of all, the Jewish people resented the fact that Herod called himself the king of Israel. They found that deeply offensive. You see, because Herod did not come from the royal line of the kings of Israel, which descended from King David. He did not come from that royal line. In fact, Herod wasn't even Jewish. Herod was an Idumean. An Idumean, they're a people group that come from the land of what is now Jordan. Now, Herod was appointed to this position by the Roman government. When the Roman government, when the Roman troops occupied Israel, they put Herod in charge. And so even though Herod had the title of king, he was essentially a puppet of the Roman government. He was under the authority of the Roman leadership. And so for the Jewish people, Herod was an imposter king. He was a, a phony. He sat on a throne of lies, as, the, as Elf would say, right? But, but the other reason the Jewish people hated Herod is because Herod was a particularly violent and authoritarian ruler. In fact, Caesar Augustus, the Roman emperor, famously said about Herod, he said, it is safer to be Herod's pig than to be Herod's son. And that's because Herod was famous for killing anybody who tried to oppose his absolute authority, even members of his own family. And so it was at this time <clears throat> and in this place when Jesus was born, and it says that at this time, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Now, who were these wise men? Well, in the Greek text, these men are called magi. And, and magi, that's kind of a general word which describes sages and astronomers, kind of like the intellectuals of that time. And a big part of what they would do is they would study and map out the movement of the stars. They would map out constellations. They would spend a lot of their time watching the sky. And then they would also often be called upon by kings to give wisdom or insight in various situations. Now, it says that they were from the east. That's important because think about this. Several hundred years before that, the people of Israel had been carried off into the lands of the east in exile. And so we see these wise men coming from those lands in the east where several hundred years prior to this, the Jewish people themselves had been carried into exile. This is the region of Babylon and Persia, modern-day Iraq and Iran. Now, now, sometimes in our nativity sets, the wise men are depicted as being three in number, right? Because later in this section, we see that they, br they brought three gifts. But most likely, this group would have been much more than three people. You can imagine, probably even for safety reasons, but also because this was like a delegation. So you can imagine quite a large group of people coming from these eastern lands. So now that we've seen who the Magi are, the wise men, let's find out why they came to Jerusalem and what that means for you and I today. 
So that brings us second part of our sentence. Like the wise men, the way to celebrate Christmas, first of all, is by seeking Jesus. These wise men came to Jerusalem, and it says this in verse 2. They said, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. So apparently these wise men, these magi, they spent a lot of their lives studying the stars, watching the heavens, and they noticed something at one point that was new and different, something that was unusual. And they made the conclusion that this must be a sign that the king of the Jews had been born. Now, you might wonder, how did they make that leap? That's a pretty big leap to make, right? Like to go from, hey, there's a star I've never seen before to it must be the king of the Jews and we should worship him. How did they know that? What made them think that this unusual star was a sign that a king had been born, much less a king of the Jews specifically? And on top of that, why did they want to worship that king? Well, those are some pretty important and big questions. And the more you look into the answers to those questions, the more interesting and amazing it becomes. Now, as I mentioned before, those magi from the east, they came from the lands to which the people of Israel had been taken into exile years prior to this. And it was during that time that a young Jewish man named Daniel had risen to prominence in the leadership of Babylon and Persia. That story is told to us in the Old Testament book of the prophet Daniel. Now, Daniel, it says in that book, he refused to compromise his beliefs and God protected him. And eventually Daniel even was blessed and, and saw so much favor that he was made the leader of the Babylonian and Persian empires, made a leader in those empires. And one of the things it says about Daniel, which is really interesting, in Daniel chapter two, it says that Daniel was made put in charge, or he was put in charge of the wise men. Is that interesting? So these wise men from the east, they are the descendants of those wise men over whom Daniel was their leader. Another, again, another thing we know about Daniel is that Daniel wasn't just the leader of the wise men. He wasn't just an administrator in Persia, but that Daniel was a prophet. And one of the things Daniel prophesied about was the coming of the Messiah. He said that the Messiah would be a king who would come from Israel. And Daniel referred to this Messiah as the Ancient of Days, which in other words meant that this king who was going to be born was actually going to be God come to earth to be our savior. So this explains why these wise men from the east, when they saw this sign in the heavens, they concluded this must be a sign that the king who Daniel told us about has finally been born. And it explains why they didn't just want to welcome him and greet him, but they actually wanted to worship him. Now, we know from other ancient sources, by the way, that there was an ex expectation at this time in many nations of the world that a great man was going to arise from Judea who would become the ruler of the entire world. Check out this quote from the Roman historian Suetonius. Here's what he said. There has spread over all the Orient an old and established belief that it was fated at that time for men coming from Judea to rule the world. Check out this one from Tacitus, another well-documented Roman historian. He says, there was a firm persuasion that at this very time, the East was to grow powerful and rulers coming from Judea were to acquire a universal empire. So you can see at this time, there was a strong messianic expectation that a ruler was going to come from Israel who would rule over the entire world. And the Magi, they understood that this ruler was, as the Jewish prophets had foretold, actually 
God himself come to earth to establish his kingdom and redeem his creation. But it says there in verse three, it says, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. So you can imagine this delegation shows up at the royal palace and said, hey, we heard that the long-awaited king who's going to reestablish the throne of the Jews, the royal line of King David, he's been born, well, obviously, Herod, who was already a particularly insecure leader. Of course he's threatened by that. Of course he's disturbed by that because it threatens his power. And it says in verse 4, Assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he, that's Herod, inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. He's asking, what did the prophecies say about where the Christ would be born? And they told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the lands of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. You know, throughout the Old Testament, there were prophecies, hundreds of them actually, about the Messiah. And this prophecy in particular comes from the book of the prophet Micah, Micah chapter 5, verse 2, which says that the Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem. Now, the first thing, though, that I want you to notice is what these men did these wise men, what were they doing? They were seeking Jesus. I will tell you this, in order to truly celebrate Christmas, in order to get the most out of Christmas this year, the the first thing you need to do is to seek Jesus, seek after him. What does it mean to seek after Jesus? Well, I would say this, it means to actively pursue him. How many of you have ever been in a one-sided relationship? Maybe you were on the the side that was putting in all the effort, reaching out, initiating, starting conversation, but the other person was inactive or completely passive. They weren't putting in any effort on their end. So to seek Jesus, to pursue Jesus, is to do what these wise men did in response to Jesus coming to them. They were not passive. They were not complacent. Rather, they sought after him, and they put in the effort to get close to him. Isaiah the prophet, he encouraged us. He said, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he's near. The message of Christmas is that God has come near to us in the person of Jesus Christ so that through Jesus we can know him and so he can save us. And the promise we have from God in the Bible is this, that he rewards, God rewards those who diligently seek him. That if you seek after God, you know what? He's not hiding. He's not hiding himself from you. He desires to know you and for you to know him. And that's why Jesus, the Messiah, came. That's what we're celebrating at Christmas. So getting the most out of Christmas, it begins with seeking Jesus. You know, of all the things you can seek after in your life or pursue in your life, whether that's hobbies or success, whether it's recognition or prestige, It's only in seeking after Jesus that you will find what your heart truly desires and what you ultimately need, both for this life and for the life to come. So let's look at this again. So like the wise men, the way to celebrate Jesus, first of all, it's by seeking Jesus, the way to celebrate Christmas is. But secondly, it's also rejoicing in him, rejoicing in him. Look at verse 7. It says this, Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them the time that the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and diligently search for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, 
they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. You know what? Christmas is a reason to celebrate. It's a reason to rejoice, just like these wise men rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And I want you to think about something that I think is really striking in this story. Here are these wise men, right? They just traveled this great distance, probably traveling for weeks, maybe even months to get to Israel, to get to Jerusalem. And why? They saw a sign in the sky. They realized this must be the Messiah that we've been waiting for. And so they travel all this distance, all this time. And what do you think they assumed that they would find when they got to Jerusalem? I mean, think about it. They're this excited about the coming of the Messiah. Surely the people in Jerusalem are going to be even more excited, right? When they get there, there's probably going to be banners. There's going to be celebration going on. There's going to be some sort of fanfare happening. And yet when they arrive, what do they find? Absolutely nothing. Nothing at all. You can imagine them arriving and getting to the edge of the city, seeing someone on the street, and, and this big delegation, they stop this person. They say, hey, we're here to celebrate the newborn king. And this person on the street being like, the newborn what? He has no idea, no clue, no idea what they're even talking about. A newborn king? Well, you guys should probably go to the palace and talk to the king. He'll, he'll probably be able to point you in the right direction. So they go to Herod's palace. And, and rather than a celebration, the news of the newborn king is met with suspicion. And so once the wise men find out that the Messiah is to be born in Bethlehem, they go there. Once again, the star appears in the sky, showing them that they're on the right track, that they're in the right place. And look at their response. They respond by rejoicing exceedingly with great joy. Now, I want to tell you something else that's interesting. By the way, did you know that this star that appeared in the sky, this was actually prophesied way back in the Old Testament book of Numbers. Check this out. The prophet Balaam in Numbers 24, he prophesied this. He said, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. In other words, somebody's coming. They're not here yet. It'll still be a long time until he comes. That's what he's saying. And look what he says. A star shall come out of Jacob and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. Now, the Jewish rabbis of this time, they understood this to be a prophecy about the Messiah. The idea of a scepter coming from Israel speaks of a ruler or a king who would arise from Israel. And the star, it says, a star will arise out of Judah when the king comes. I want you to notice something here. Notice the very different reactions that these different groups of people had to Jesus' coming. The wise men rejoiced over Jesus, but Herod was disturbed by Jesus. The wise men welcomed Jesus, whereas Herod resisted Jesus. In fact, later in this chapter, Herod's even going to try to have Jesus killed. The wise men placed their hope in Jesus and what Jesus would do for them, whereas Herod was afraid of what he would lose because of Jesus. You know, I think there are many people today who feel the same way about Jesus that Herod felt back then when he heard that Jesus had come. Maybe you could even say that maybe there's some of us here today, and if you're really honest, you're more inclined to feel like Herod did. And in fact, maybe we could even go this far. We could say, you know what? There's a little Herod in all of us. It's that part of us that wants to be in charge and feels threatened by anything that may cause us to lose control. Now, I know in my own life personally, 
this was a hang-up for me. There was a period of time in my life when I knew who Jesus was, like Herod, but I was afraid of giving him complete control over my life because I was afraid of what I might lose or have to give up if I did. That's Herod, you see? He knows who Jesus is, but rather than rejoicing, he's resisting. Why? Because he wants to hold on to control, even though his place on the throne isn't even legitimate in the first place. You know, it's worth asking yourself, how will you respond to the news that Jesus has come and that Jesus is a king? How will you respond to that news? Will you respond like Herod did? Or will you respond like the wise men did? The wise men rejoiced at Jesus' coming. Why? Because they understood that what Jesus had come to do for them was ultimately greater than anything that Jesus would require of them. And that was a realization that I came to in my own life as well. That anything I might have to give up in order to follow Jesus would actually result in more joy for me in the end. You know, like the wise men, the way to truly celebrate Christmas is not by resisting Jesus, but by rejoicing in Jesus, by giving him the rightful place of lordship in your life and rejoicing in what he has come to do, not only for the world in general, but for you personally. That brings us to the final part of our study today, which is this. So like the wise men, the way to celebrate Christmas is by seeking Jesus, it's by rejoicing in him, and finally, it's by worshiping him. Look at verse 11. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. And then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. You know, another prophecy from the Old Testament about the coming of the Messiah, it said this. It said, nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. Now, the word nations in Hebrew, it refers to Gentiles. In other words, non-Jewish people. So this was a prediction, this prophecy, that non-Jewish people were going to come to Jesus at his coming, which is exactly what we see happening here with the wise men. And by the way, the prophecy then continues and says this, the wealth of the nations shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you. They shall bring gold, and frankincense, and good news, and the praises of the Lord. Isn't that incredible? Almost exactly describing what happened with the wise men. It's really significant that these wise men, by the way, not only do they want to pay homage to Jesus, but they actually want to worship Jesus. Because you know why? In the Bible, amongst the Jewish people particularly, worship is something that is strictly reserved for God alone. To worship anything or anyone other than God is considered blasphemy, and the punishment for blasphemy in the Bible was death. And yet these wise men, they tell Herod that their purpose is to come and worship Jesus, and then when they meet Jesus, they do just that. They don't just pay homage to him as a king, but they worship him as God. Now, that's really interesting because, you know what, throughout the rest of the Gospel of Matthew, as we're going to be studying through it over the next several weeks and months, you know what we're going to see? We're going to see a series of people who go through a process of coming to realize who Jesus is. And the end result at the end of the Gospel of Matthew is that Jesus' disciples worship him. That's the whole trajectory of the book. They realize who he is, and they finally come to the place of worshiping him. But the wise men, 
they were way ahead of the curve, right? They were worshiping Jesus before it was cool, right? They were, they were worshiping him already here at the beginning of the book. So here at the beginning of Matthew's gospel, we see foreign people worshiping Jesus. And then how does Matthew's gospel end? With Jesus's disciples worshiping him. And then Jesus commissioning them to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, See, along with their worship, these wise men also presented Jesus with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I wonder how many of you have ever wondered in the back of your mind, why did they bring those gifts? Why these gifts in particular? I mean, it's kind of like, have they never met a baby before, right? Like they've never been to a baby shower? Like a, maybe a pack and play would be better, more practical gift at this point in, in Mary and Joseph's life, right? Than uh, some gold, some frankincense, and some myrrh. It's kind of like, uh, you know, have you ever been like around like a single person, like a single guy when he meets a baby for the first time and he's like, doesn't know what to do and he tries to like shake hands with the baby? That's kind of what these guys are like, right? It's like, I don't know if they've ever been around a, a child before, right? Because these are kind of weird gifts to give to a baby. Like you never see a, a toddler just having a great time playing with some frankincense. If I had some gold, I probably wouldn't give it to a toddler. It's just as a matter of principle, right? Like um, you never see myrrh on like the baby registry. So why did they bring these gifts? Um, well, first of all, these were very valuable things at that time. But beyond that, and more importantly, they were also deeply symbolic. The gold, obviously, valuable. It's a gift fit for a king. Frankincense, though, is interesting. It's something that was used in the Jewish temple. They would burn it, and it would create this sweet-smelling aroma as its smoke rose up into the sky. And for the Jewish people, and actually in the Bible, it says that what this symbolizes, it symbolizes the prayers of the people rising up to God in a sweet-smelling aroma. In other words, God's pleased with it. But myrrh, now this is the one that's really interesting because myrrh was one of the chief ingredients that was used in the recipe for anointing oil. So priests in the temple would be anointed with this oil. Kings were anointed with this oil when they took their place as king. And the dominant spice in that was myrrh. That's what gave it its fragrance. And by the way, the word Messiah, it means anointed one. So by bringing myrrh, what are they saying? These wise men are acknowledging that Jesus is the Messiah, the anointed one. But myrrh was also used for another purpose, and that is for embalming. Myrrh was something that you would put onto the body of a deceased loved one. We read about this in the Gospel of John, chapter 19. The next time myrrh shows up in the Bible is at Jesus' death. Here, let me read to you from John 19, verse 39. It says, Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. So Jesus received myrrh at his birth and then again at his death. And you know what gold, frankincense, and myrrh all have in common? All three of these things were things that you would need in order to have a funeral. Which again, kind of a strange thing to do when you say hi to a baby for the first time. Welcome to the world. Here's some, here's some stuff you're going to need when you die. So why would they do that? Well, again, it seems that these wise men from the East, they were familiar with the prophecies from the Old Testament about the Messiah. Because long before Jesus was ever born, God had been preparing the people for the arrival of the Savior. 
that he was going to send. He spoke through the prophets about what Jesus would be like, what he was going to do. And one of the things that the prophecies said was that when the Messiah came, he was going to save people from the curse of sin and death, and he was going to redeem the world and make all things right. And the way he would do that was by dying a sacrificial death. He was going to come as a person who would live a perfect life, a righteous life, and then he would die a substitutionary death in order to take the judgment for our sins and in our place. It seems that these wise men, they knew these prophecies, and so they gave Jesus these gifts which pointed to and spoke about his death. You see, the message of Christmas is that Jesus Christ has come, and he's not only a king to be honored, but he's actually God. God come to us in order to save us because he loves you and he wants to spend eternity with you. You see, Jesus could have stayed in heaven, safe, comfortable, and secure, but he chose to come to us and save us because he loves us. And this Jesus who came to us, he also lived a perfect life. He died a sacrificial death, but he also resurrected from the grave. He rose again into heaven, and one day he is coming again to fix everything that is broken in this world so that we can be with him forever. And so let me ask you this Christmas, what does it look like for you to do what these wise men did to honor Jesus as king, but also to worship him with your life? Later on in the Bible, in the book of Romans, God tells us that true worship in its fullest expression isn't just singing songs or giving gifts. The ultimate expression of worship is giving your life wholly over to God as a living sacrifice. And what that looks like, God tells us, is it looks like this. No longer living for yourself, but living wholeheartedly and completely for the sake of him who for your sake died and rose again. So this Christmas, in order to truly appreciate what Christmas is about, I want to encourage you to do what these wise men did to seek after Jesus, to rejoice in him, and to worship Jesus. The message of the gospel, the message of Christmas, is that God so loved you that he sent his only son, so that if you put your trust and belief in him, you will not perish but have everlasting life. That is the best news in human history. And the gift of God's grace and salvation, that can be yours today. That can be yours today if you put your trust and faith in him as your Savior and as your Lord. So like the wise men, the way to celebrate Christmas is by seeking Jesus, rejoicing in him, and worshiping him. Would you please bow your heads with me and let's pray. You have been listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com. Make sure to tap the subscribe button if you would like to have new messages delivered to your device every week when they are released. If you have been blessed by this message and would like to support our ministry, you can do so by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or by giving a donation to our church on our website at whitefieldschurch.com.